0: Hello and welcome to the NDA podcast. My name is Justin Pearce and I'm the editor. This is part of a series called NDA Meets, where we sit down with some of the most innovative and frankly interesting leaders across our industry, and today's no different. I'm very excited to be joined by Justin Lim, who's General Manager, Asia Pacific at Sublime, and he's got an impeccable past history working across the industry. So we're going to talk about mobile advertising, mobile video advertising, and the opportunities and challenges for both publishers agencies and brands so justin welcome yeah thanks for having me justin (laughs) great to talk to you so let's kick off i mean most people know sublime but let's assume that some don't so talk us through sublime you know what you offer to help both publishers and agencies and and
1: what you do there. yeah cool okay um well sublime was founded in paris in 2012 Um, with the focus of enabling brands to have engaging dialogue with consumers. We basically give advertisers the ability to connect with users across the internet um, in an interactive and non-intrusive manner using dynamic, interactive, rich media ad formats. Um, Publishers basically uh, implement these ad formats across their site um you know that's sort of creating a supply of inventory across mobile and desktop devices uh which we will then go and monetize for them by offering this space to advertisers uh advertisers in turn can tap into this supply and run cross-device digital ad campaigns at scale um across a network of premium publishers you know targeting different sites different devices different content verticals and so on um so in addition to this, we also offer creative services as well. Um, we have an in-house studio that does all the creative conceptualization for our clients. Um, so you can run a sort of end-to-end campaign starting from, you know, giving us the raw assets to a media distribution campaign. So we'll do all of the heavy lifting and help the brands connect with the right inventory sources to fit in with their brand's target audience. Um, my role specifically as Asia GM or broadly is... Um, focusing on scaling up the business across the region uh, primarily looking at growing you know what i talked about earlier demand and supply across the region so that's that basically entails working with publishers um, so working closely with our publisher supply team to form partnerships with websites across the region um, you know opening up inventory which our commercial team can then take and monetize on behalf of the publishers so they'll take these this inventory and, and sell it on to brands and media agencies who will want to utilize the inventory to run, you know, local or multi-territory digital campaigns across Asia Pacific, or in some cases globally. Um, so day-to-day is essentially making sure that we have enough scale in inventory for brands to, um, uh, to run across um, and monetize, um, you know, so I spend most of my day speaking with media agencies, websites, publishers, Um, ensuring that we've got relevant supply Um, our ad campaigns are delivering on schedule and also obviously doing the occasional podcast most important.
0: okay let's talk a bit about talk about APAC I mean it's such a Mm -hmm. it's such a varied region I think we're often you know we're based in the UK often think of APAC as a sort of a singular territory Normally, it's got so many different countries involved so many different cultures Mm -hmm. languages so tell us a bit about the differences and I think what's most interesting to me especially is how can brands run or do brands run sort of mobile video campaigns across APAC?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think while you touched on it earlier, I mean, it's obviously a very big and diverse place. Um, You know, media strategies will vary from market to market. Each country is unique and different. Um, You know, and and you mentioned earlier, one one key difference is, of course, language. You'll get an advertiser wants to run a multi-territory campaign, but they'll want their ads localized so the ad will have to be displayed in local language across local sites so basically if you've got an advertiser who wants to run in japan they'll want a japanese creative but they'll also want to run across a japanese website and it's sort of much of the case for hong kong korea china indonesia or all, all of apac really there are some instances where you can get away with english obviously in singapore australia new zealand where you could leverage you know, big international publishers like the BBC, for example, who will have a footprint in Singapore as well as Australia and New Zealand. So you could leverage their inventory in these three markets to run a multi-territory campaign. Um, so, you know, localized creative is obviously very important uh, and also understanding the local footprint. Uh, what are the big local publications in each of the different markets uh, and how you can activate across them. Um, is obviously you know n- knowing which ones to activate across is obviously very important. I guess understanding the different consumer
0: behaviours in different markets—it must be pretty tough to understand. You know, in Singapore and people in 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 Sydney, the behaviour is pretty different. You know? so how do yeah. you make sure you understand that personally so you can advise their clients?
1: Yeah, so you know, yeah, culturally. So language is one part of it. Culturally, it's obviously you know their cultural nuances. Um, the way media is consumed. If you think of places like China, for example, they've got their they've got their entire own ecosystem of 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 websites. You know their own search engines, their own DSPs. Um, so obviously, understanding these nuances, automation can help alleviate some of these issues. So buying programmatically uh, can help. Um, you know it allows you to activate curated marketplaces across different territories. But still, you you know, obviously it's good for the buyer or the advertiser to understand um, the local cultures and what resonates and what doesn't. Um, you know, there are their products, uh, you know, like Gillette razor blades, for example. You know, we we had a very, I had a very interesting conversation with Gillette one time where um, they were trying to activate uh campaigns in Indonesia, uh, but people in Indonesia don't really shave. So um, you know, they, they weren't selling too many razor blades there um but you know conversely if you were activating a gillette campaign in australia that'd be a lot easier um so it's you know understanding these these different nuances um uh, taking them into account um and then obviously you know um making sure that your your activation strategy represents or, or takes takes these uh, into account
0: okay let's let's dig in a bit to one particular sort of format that you specialize in mobile video so what talk about the biggest challenges at the moment and opportunities. I guess in how you overcome you sublime overcome those challenges to create opportunities. But the challenges for publishers uh, when it comes to mobile video. Yeah,
1: I, well, I think one of the main challenges with uh, with all publishers is finding a balance between monetizing your ad traffic on mobile and user experience. So you you know both are obviously equally as important because without the users, you don't have traffic. Uh, and without the ads you don't have revenue to keep the site going you don't really want to bombard the users with ads Uh, you also don't want to you know monetize too much traffic or, or rather you want to monetize as much traffic as reasonably possible so striking a balance is obviously key and I think you know a key challenge also for publishers when it comes to running video is uh is brand safety um you know being able to ensure advertisers that you as a publisher are taking the necessary steps to prevent the ads from appearing across um, unsavory content. Um, you know, we, there, 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 there are lots of technologies out there that can help navigate this, but still, you know, advertisers are, are still finding themselves caught up in situations where ads are appearing in places where they don't want to be, you know, typically, uh, you know, like a, a, an ad for an airline appearing on a plane, uh, a plane crash uh, article, um, we had a, a big incident in Singapore involving a BMW car crash recently, um, and you know, lo and behold, it was you know when you logged onto the page, everybody saw a BMW ad, um, which obviously is it's not good for the brand. Um, so, so I think you know, looking at striking a balance in user experience and monetization, and also obviously offering enough brand safety so that brands trust you. To run to run on your site is, is uh, important um, I think also or, well, with mobile video as well you know connectivity can be an issue in some markets uh, where there's low bandwidth um, so you know if you're running um, you know ultra you know 4k ultra clear 4k videos um, these might not display out properly or they might buffer for a really long time and your ads won't get seen um, so some of the challenges I think that that, that are Presented to publishers when thinking about video. That, that BMW example is sort of
0: interesting because brand safety obviously has been such an issue for such a long time. But at the same time, as you said, there's so many great technologies out there to help solve these problems. It's amazing that this still appears.
1: And th- this recent example you said, are you surprised that this is still still happening? Um. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think you know th- there is also an element of human error involved. You know, traders probably um, trying to tag keywords like BMW, but not, um, you know, not looking at other brand safety measures, like making sure that they're not running across content that says car crash or whatever. So, I mean, you know, as much as we are running in an automated, uh, ecosystem using DSPs and whatnot, um, there's still the human element involved. And I guess, you know, sometimes yeah, people do make mistakes and unfortunately that was a big one for the trader. Um, when, when that ad ran on, um, on, on that piece of content, um, you know, it made the news, it was on TV, so um, it, you know, obviously wasn't ideal for the brand. Mm. Okay, let's talk about um, video strategy. Mobile video strategy
0: is obviously something you spend sort of, you know, all day for day doing. And then the difference between a a, a short-term mobile video strategy and a long-term video strategy, which again seems like it should should be obvious. Uh, how, yeah. how, do, how do brands approach this? How do they decide which is best?
1: Um, is, is short-term always bad? Yeah, well, I think it depends on the brand goals and objectives over the long, medium, short term. Um, You know, you will adopt long-term and short-term strategies based on what your brand brand objectives are or what your direct response objectives are. I would say a brand would typically probably look at three main pillars when crafting out their strategy uh, that will revolve around, you know, the types of creatives they deploy. So, you know, that would be things like asset length, Uh, How long a video do you create? What type of video would you create? Uh, What platforms you're activating across? So where are you actually displaying your ad? Um, And also the buying metric, whether it's, you know, are you looking to drive a completion? In which case you probably want to opt for, you know, buying on a cost per completed view buying model. Um, If a brand's looking to drive viewability, you probably want to buy media on a viewable CPM or a viewable cost cost per view. Um, Or, you know, if it's purely delivering reach and driving uh, brand brands would opt for a, C, a straight CPM model. Um, and on the creative side, I guess short-term strategies tend to be more promotional offers, product-based that are typically time-sensitive You know, and centered around limited time offers like Black Friday or Cyber Monday. So these would usually be shorter, snappier videos. that get straight to the point, have the brand product and promotion front and center of the creative. Um, You basically want to get the brand and the promotion message out as quickly as you can in five or six seconds um, and do this at scale. So, you know, on the distribution side, you probably look at getting as many eyeballs as possible. Uh, Brand will probably likely tap into publishers with mass audiences, um, social media platforms, probably look at doing Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, even, uh, and then probably running with us as well across the open web using our stream formats. How have you see sure. levels of maturity
0: changing in terms of advertisers, you know, ability to do this, ability to do what you're saying, and to determine what sort of strategy they should be approaching in terms video? Yeah, I
1: mean, we, you know, we, they're getting a lot more savvy with their video. As I, I remember, you know, back in the day, running video campaigns that were essentially TV commercials used for you know terrestrial traditional TV, and they just give us those assets to run online. Um, the ecosystem is so fragmented now. You have to think about how your video lands in each individual platform. One asset, one size doesn't fit all. Uh, An ad could work really well on YouTube, but it might fail to land completely on Facebook or any other platform. So, you know, brands are testing and learning and the agencies and companies like us are sort of helping educate brands on what they need to do uh, on the video front. You know, so staying agile, creating a range of different assets, um, making sure that, you know, they're, they're keeping up with the trends, looking at, you know, with mobile, looking at things like vertical videos, for example. Um, so strategies would use a mix now of different, uh, video formats. Um, and yeah, you know, advertisers are sort of, uh, are getting a lot more savvy with, with running digital video. The, you know, it's sort of like TV used to be lumped into online video, but you know, it's sort of seen separately. Now you have got different assets. For different uh, mediums and different platforms. So let's talk about viewability and completion rate. again, like
0: ground safety, it's always been an issue that's doubled the industry. So what's what's happening with viewability? Where, where are we?
1: Um, I mean it's it's a it's a really important KPI. I mean it's 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 one of the key KPIs that comes into play when you're running a video. Um, so you'll definitely be benchmarked on. The um, viewability rates that you're delivering, um, you know, clients are sort of demanding 100% viewability. Making sure that you add seen. the 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 industry benchmark is 50% of your video being seen for two seconds, and that's counted as a view. Um, but you know, there's lots of debate on whether that's really enough. You know, we have some agencies demanding a lot more of us. Um, so, um, you know, we're having to come up with different ways. Uh, to deliver on, on better viewability metrics, which is why we developed the uh, top role. So that we could, you know, uh, drive better viewability metrics, ensure ads are actually seen, um, and give advertisers a an outstream format that was you know delivering specifically on the objectives that they were demanding on. So we'll talk about
0: cover <laughs> a bit in a second, but what's your view? You know, you say brands are coming out and often you know, using public forums to demand 100% viewability or 90% viewability. industry uh, benchmarks, 50%, what was your view? Where should it be? And is there a problem? We often see industry uh, commentators say that, you know, if you're demanding 100% viewability rates, you're going to be missing out on, on other sort of great things that come with advertising. So what do you think? Where, where should it be?
1: Um, you know, I, I don't think that advertisers should compromise on, on viewability. I think if, you know, they should be demanding a bit more um, you know, typical outstream formats, you know, you see this all, all across the web um, ads will play as, as, as you scroll through the piece of content and as you scroll past it, they continue playing um, you know, if I was an advertiser, I wouldn't want to be paying for that view because my ad's not being seen um, so so yeah, I don't think advertisers should be compromising on that, I think we should be challenging you know, uh, your media partners, uh, your media vendors, people like us to, to you know, up our game and, and deliver better viewability standards. But I also feel, obviously, you know, it is important for brands to understand that you know, driving these kind of metrics is hard. And when you can get into a premium environment that delivers you high viewability metrics, they should be willing to, to, to you know, cough up the investment to pay for a better view. So um, you know, it's sort of a, a give and take, really. I think if, if they're willing to um, pay for a for better, you know, better viewing uh, experience, um, then I'm sure every every publisher out there would be trying really hard to to push their view, viewability metrics up. Mm, um, yeah, you know, you get a lot of publishers that are you know media agencies are, are very focused on cost efficiency. Um, they want the best metrics at the cheap, cheapest prices. But um, you know, it's it's tough for 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 publishers and people like us, um, you know, uh, to to come up with these kind of metrics. Publishers will demand uh, a certain type of technology from us and we'll have to deliver on that. They'll demand a type of CPM, uh, which is usually premium. So advertisers sort of need to um, need to understand this as well. What about it's completion? Important.
0: What about completion rates? What how important how important are completion rates and what's
1: going on in terms of industry benchmarks and
0: that
1: sort of thing? Uh, yeah, VTRs <laughs> vary quite a bit across APAC. Obviously, you know, the shorter your video, the higher your VTR. Um, I think that, um, you know, the viewability and, and views, completed views are important, uh, but, you know, at what expense a uh, forced view pre-roll, for example, I mean, you know, th- that could have some detrimental effects on uh, uh user's perception of the brand. Um, so whilst I think it is important, I think forcing the view is, uh, needs to be uh, taken with a pinch of salt. You need to find a better way to complete that view and obviously not annoy the user.
0: So what this is, this is I mean, it's a difficult question, but all these things you talked about, and again, you spend all day advising, advising advertisers and, and publishers. Uh, what's the mobile best practice? Are there some simple mobile bat- best practices for, for, for brands?
1: Yeah, I think, well, you know, with, with mobile, obviously, um, when you see an ad, you know, the attention span is quite short. So keeping your video short and snappy, getting your brand message across quickly, I think that's important. You know, platforms like Facebook, you know, only re- are really effective with six-second video ads. Um, so you need to get your brand message and your promotion and everything upfront really quickly. Um, so keeping them short, snappy, uh, to the point, uh, you know, will, will ensure that you obviously get your brand message out quickly and not annoy users. Um, you know, I think it's also important, obviously, to have enough reach. So hitting the hitting all the right touch points. Uh, the more your audience, the more of the audience you reach, the greater the impact of your campaign. And your audience spends the ma- majority of their time on websites, games, apps, blogs, you know, a lot of locations outside of YouTube and Facebook. So, you know, make sure you're, you're engaging them across multiple touch points. I like to describe it as like, you know, imagine having a, uh, launching a blockbuster movie, but only putting it, a, only screening it in one cinema. You know, not a lot of people are going to see it. So. Um, you essentially want to be putting it out everywhere, um, so that users get a chance to view it, interact with it, engage with it, and so on.
0: Is there any? Uh, I mean, how do you go with the fact if you if you say you've got to get your brand message out really quickly, mobile video advertising? What about storytelling? The
1: ability of brands to sort of tell stories across yeah. the day? How do they do that? Yeah, well, I think that there is a place for, you know, um, short form video content, so the snappy promotional messages and then there's a place for emotional storytelling. You know, everyone loves those Christmas ads that John Lewis comes out with, you know, those are really nice to watch and, um, you know, but the objectives are different with these these types of videos. Um, You've got shorter ads that are more promotional based and then which I touched on earlier. Um, you've got these longer formats that are more story-driven, a bit more emotional. They're more on, they're more skewed towards communicating brand equity. You know, talking about the brand, um, what the, the the brand perception, building up the brand perception in people's minds, and creating an emotional connection with the user. Um, those objectives are usually long-term. So you're looking at you know, uh, getting users on-site for the long-term, rather than trying to push them a promotional message to purchase something less response driven, more um, sort of relationship building.
0: Thanks, now you mentioned earlier on, you mentioned Outstream. So Outstream
1: versus Instream, what, what's,
0: what are the main differences in the pros and cons at least we know we're talking about different formats? Different yeah. Medium
1: travel. Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of scale with Outstream. Um, so historically, a publisher, if they wanted to um, you know, uh, run video ads, they had to create content and so pre-roll on top of that. So now without stream, anyone can become a video partner. Um, so it creates a lot of scale for the advertiser and also a new revenue stream for the publisher. Um, so obviously it's beneficial uh, on both sides. Um, in-streams, what uh, benefits of in-stream? I mean, um, I mean in-stream ads are uh, historically been seen as quite annoying. Um, you know, you're typically just looking for the skip button every time you see an in-stream ad. But with the rise of like OTT or catch-up TV, what you can in, in essentially ensure is that your ad, uh, your in-stream ad is running across, you know, premium professionally made content, as opposed to, you know, outstream, which is, you know, obviously appearing across um, premium websites, but sometimes they can be across, you know, uh, you know content that's not really deemed as premium. Um, so, you know, the pros and cons with, with both, um, I think you you usually probably get more better viewability with uh, in stream because sometimes it's a forced view, so the users are forced to sit through the ad. But if the ad's not annoying and you're leveraging targeting and you're serving relevant ads to consumers, I'm sure they're happy to sit through the ad to get to their content. You know, because the ultimate goal is obviously you know they want to watch their content. Um, you know, and I think um, yeah, I mean you know in stream, I mean you know lots lots of studies showcase that consumers actually really dislike in stream, yes. you know, so, um, serving too many of them, um, is annoying. We have OTT platforms in, 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 Asia that serve you, you know, two to three 30 second pre-rolls before you actually get to the content. Um, you know, that's, that's a minute and a minute and a half of ads, sometimes even longer. Um, so, you know, that's, 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 yeah, that's quite disruptive to your user journey. Um, and then, obviously, with Outstream, we talked about brand safety earlier as well. So, Outstream appears across, you know, uh, across the open web on content. So, um, you know, sometimes ad placements and creatives uh, can stray from uh, appearing across, uh, you know, content that advertisers want 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 to be seen across. So, you need to take care, really, obviously, and align your creative strategy, you know, um, to or, uh, align your Outstream strategies to ensure that. Um, you are know, layering in all the brand safety protocols to, to get the ad um, seen in, 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 the, in the best places.
0: Okay, let's talk a bit about some of the technologies that underpin all of this, you know, that let you, that you do what you do, and advertisers do what they do. So 5G, I mean, obviously, you're sitting in Singapore, I'm sitting in London, we've got very different, yeah. different telecoms markets. I think I'll be quite jealous of your infrastructure because of 5G, but what impact is 5G having on what? what advertisers can, can do and how they can engage with um,
1: consumers. Well, yeah, I mean, well, you know, 4G is pretty quick. I mean, I can't imagine how how much quicker 5G is going to be. I think it's something like 20 times quicker. So fastest ever mobile network. Um, you know, I, I mean, as speeds increase, we can expect loading time and buffering times for videos to reduce, uh, meaning consumers can more easily uh, consume higher quality video content. So, um, you yeah, hopefully they'll spend a lot more time watching videos uh, thus, creating a lot more opportunity for video advertising. Um, you know, reduction in lag times will, yeah, probably create clearer and more innovative video advertising. Um, I mean, I guess it's not going to be a, a significant step change like three G was when that came in a while ago. Now, so it's just a slight incremental change. Um, well, I mean, it remains to be seen how quick five G is going to. But, um, you know, I I think what's important also is as 5G networks will allow people transitioning from 4G to 5G uh, will naturally help 4G uh, create better speeds so people who are still on 4G networks will get faster (laughs) internet connections, um, you know, and it'll probably be cheaper as well to get uh, 4G uh, capabilities, which I think is beneficial for much of Asia where, you know, in some regions connectivity is still a bit of an issue. so wireless broadband improving will probably open up connectivity in hard to re- reach r- rural, rural areas, um, hopefully improving digital video ad campaigns as well uh, in, in less connected markets.
0: Okay, makes sense.
1: What other technologies that do play a part, things like AR and VR, what, what are you
0: excited about when it comes to these?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, VR and AR is really cool. I think you know it's definitely gonna make advertising a lot more interactive and a lot more engaging. Um, You know, it'll give us marketers and advertisers um, new ways to reach out to consumers. And I think, you know, creative freedom you get here is quite limitless. There's a lot of really great examples of how brands are leveraging AR and VR to create new immersive experiences for for their consumers. You know, simple things like IKEA, using, creating apps that allow you to display furniture in your home um to i you know lots of brands leveraging ar and vr in public places as well so it's not confined just to your desktop and your mobile phone you can even take ar and vr experiences outdoors or into magazines where ads have historically been you know quite boring print ads um, so they'll definitely grow in adoption i reckon they will start becoming a bigger part of the marketing mix um, so it'd be really interesting to see how brands tap into this technology to engage with the consumers. I think they can, you know, you can work on creating more personalized, uh, advertising, more specific to each individual user, um, as opposed to, you know, just blasting out a, a, generic message to, to all of your users.
0: Well, do you think it's going to drive brand adoption? Because as you, as you say, that they're, they're sort of out here, it's out of this tool, the technology is there, but, and examples like Ikea, you know, there's lots of very famous case studies, but, Arguably, you know, Ikea is often mentioned because there aren't that many. So what's going to speed up adoption, do you think?
1: Um, I, I reckon, you know, we've got to play our part. The agencies and, and the, um, you know, the, the, the specialist, advertising specialist companies that focus on this area um, will need to play a part in educating clients on what's available. Um, I think, you know, if you speak to a marketer and ask them to come up with an AR and VR strategy, it's a relatively new technology in the marketing sense. So people don't really know what's capable or what they can do. Obviously, they're also a bit hesitant to be the first ones in to try new things. So I think it's down to, you know, um, companies like, you know, Sublime and and these advertising uh, mobile specialists um, to come up with, uh, or, or AR and VR specialists come up with ways to educate clients uh and, and show them that you know it's not as daunting or it's not as difficult as they think it is
0: so let's i mean obviously when you're talking about you know br and ar uh is at its cost okay you know ikea does incredibly creative advertising so how we am just specifically talking about mobile video how's How's the levels of of creativity improving? Because, again, you mentioned when we first started chatting in the old days how you'd be giving a TV commercial to shove on mobile, and that was a big issue. So just in terms of creativity, creating advertising, specifically for the mobile platform, what's happening there?
1: Um, Well, I mean, mobile advertising has evolved massively over the past decade. Um, You know, we've seen growth and emergence, like I said, of specialist mobile advertising companies that, that are bringing, you know, new... Uh, advertising experiences, innovating and releasing very new and dynamic ad formats. Creators and mobile historically have been rather substandard. You know, they've been a bit poor in the past, but I feel that's also past. That's also down to the type of ad units we've, we've had available across mobile devices. You know, if you look back at the types of formats that were available, you know, say 10 years ago, those little banners on your mobile phones, um, you know, you couldn't do very much with them um, versus now where mobile phone screens are getting bigger, connectivity is getting better, technology is getting better and is allowing us to do more, you know, cool and innovative innovative things on on mobile. Um, So, you know, obviously advances in technology does help. Uh, Yeah, we talked about AR and VR earlier as well, you know, unlocking the potential of this across mobile devices, uh, you know, as we start to see uh, technology become uh, more widely adopted we'll probably see more brands uh, coming up with uh, innovative ways to, to utilize this tech. Um, so, you know, mobile's definitely improving. Um, and I think the tech's definitely really helping. Um, and, you know, companies like us, uh, Sublime, you know, you've got a lot of ad tech companies trying to, trying to capture, you know, the mobile space and look at ways of creating more interesting ways for brands to interact with users on a smaller screen. Um, so, so creating, it's getting better, it's getting much, much better. Um, if you look at how it was you know, back, back in the old days when mobile first started, um, it's a lot more interactive now.
0: Definitely, very true. So I think we've been talking about creativity, better infrastructure, you know, better um, viewability standards, all this sort of stuff, but it's also operating in an environment of huge change. Um, consumer privacy is at the fore and the change is coming, I'd say, less from regulators than from the tech giants so imposing their own sort of uh, consumer privacy restrictions apple google yeah. facebook et al so you know we've seen big big changes IDFA's, phase etc what are the big changes coming from the tech giants that advertisers and agencies publishers need to be aware of
1: yeah well you know apple update i think that comes into effect pretty soon actually for fall, fall of 2020 so um users will have to give consent to be tracked Uh, Google phasing out third-party cookies, uh, you know, basically quite bad for advertisers. They're going to make it a lot harder to track the web uh, activity of of billions of people uh, across across the internet. I think it's, you know, it's still a little bit uncertain what this will actually look like, but in general, you know, cross-app behavioral data and identification as well as targeted ad capabilities across mobile devices will be somewhat limited and only possible if a consumer has consented to, you know, be, be tracked. So the ability to target, measure, and attribute will be somewhat limited. Um, but yeah, I mean, the real impact remains to be seen. Of course, you know, these are still early stage. I think Google's not going to phase out cookie while well, they're slowly phasing it out. And it's going to take maybe a year or two before they actually phase out third-party cookies. Um, but, you know, companies are coming out with alternatives like Unified ID 2.0, um, you know, which is, is effectively a third-party cookie alternative. Uh, big tech companies like Trade Desk have been testing with this as well. Um, so um, there are some solutions in place that will come uh, to help replace the cookie. Um, but you know, it's it's obviously yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I like think it's you know the impact's not really been felt yet. Uh, but you know, see from a year a year. A year or two from now, how that really impacts the, the ad tech sector, I and mean, it's certainly not good news. But um, you know, we have to find ways to carry on. It's true. I mean, how you see, obviously you say I mean, Google is not
0: getting rid really of third party cookies immediately, but they've they set a firm timeline. And these you know these things are coming in. Do you think agencies uh, and advertisers, especially, are are preparing, getting ready, or is there still an element of head in the sand, hoping this will go away because?
1: Also, we'll sort of know that's not going away. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I don't think it's going away, but um, yeah, we, we are preparing for a cookieless world. You know, um, like I said earlier, we're we're looking at you know it's down to um, you know first party data is obviously going to be very important. Um, you know, um, and you know working with people like trade desk, you know tech tech companies or uh, data companies like Loctomy. Be interesting to see what they come up with to help, um, you know, advertisers navigate uh, a cookie-less environment. Um, you know, it's sort of a case. where we we'll have to come up with a solution. You have to come up with 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 a better solution. I mean, something that requires, you know, compliance with GDPR and getting users' consent. Um, so, you know, that there are uh, consent management platforms that have emerged as well to help marketers uh, with with GDPR. So there are steps that are being taken place and everyone's sort of been preparing for, for what's to come. So, um, yeah, like I said, I think you know, it'd, be, it'd be really interesting a little bit daunting to see how everything unfolds in, in the next six to 12 months.
0: It actually will be.
1: So let's, we've covered
0: loads of ground, but next six to 12 months you mentioned, what are you most excited about in the next six, twelve months? We've had a, a we've talked all this time. That meant well, one in the pandemic once, which is kind of a joy. But I've um, mm-hmm. had a, a crazy year, you know, globally. But what are you most excited about? If that's a new technology or you know anything in the industry, what are you
1: most looking forward to watch? What's making um, you happy? Yeah, you know, honestly, I just like to see things get back to normal. Um, you know, 2020 was 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 a tough year, and you speak to clients and agencies, and or speak to anyone really. It was a really tough year um, in in all aspects. Um, I, you know, I'd like to see things start to normalize a little bit. Everyone sort of get used to um, what is now currently the new norm. Um, you know, tackling uh, advertising in, in, in different ways. You know, just getting a bit smarter with, with, with their their advertising strategies. I'm I'm obviously excited about 5G. I'm keen to see how that impacts uh, what we're doing in, in in the video space, or you know what we're doing as in general. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm excited to, uh, not really excited to to enter a cutless environment, but I'm definitely keen to see how advertising, uh, how tech companies come up with solutions for this. Um, you know, we touched upon uh, AR and VR earlier as well. You know, we've been sort of trialing and testing various ways of uh, uh, incorporating th- this type of technology into our ad format. So I'll be keen to see how we can develop it as well for uh, more standard ad units.
0: Well, look, we've covered loads of ground, uh, ended in a very nice place with what you're looking forward to. So I think, just simply say thank you so much for joining us today. Cheers, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: And thank you for listening, goodbye.